there's a verse that says that you actually restore that which you didn't steal. And in the old covenant, when somebody stole, they had to restore it and add, add to it. Father, I know that when you restore things, you actually make them better. You just don't bring them back to even. And Father, right now, whoever that was that, that needs to be made famous in their place of shame, I just declare that over them right now. That God is going to elevate you. God is going to use you. God is going to take you and place you in a position to actually speak to people that at one time ridiculed you. And he's going to use you to reach the people that actually spoke negatively about you. We receive that in Jesus' name. Amen. So good to be back. So... Uh, Krista and I were out of the country last Sunday, and before that, of course, we had the One Fest, and then, I don't know, I feel like I haven't been to church in a month. I saw Allison the other day at work, and she said, where have you been? I'm like, I don't know. I feel like I've been, I've been around, but I just haven't been here. Uh, anybody know what this weekend is? I'm going to have to get a mic. What's this weekend? No, it's my anniversary. Now, Kristen, stand up. I know she only looks about 25, but guess how many years we've been married? Anybody want to guess? 27? Close. Here, let, let me switch to Mike. This isn't... 562, that's a little too much. We've been married now 30 years tomorrow. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a wonderful uh, 30 years with Kristen. We've, uh, you know, li life's not perfect, right? <laughs> Why does she laugh at that? You know, the 30th, anybody know what the 30th anniversary is? Oh, <laughs> of course she knows it's pearls. No, it's, it's pearl singular. <laughs> it's the, yeah, yeah, it's not diamonds, yeah, it's the pearl. But, you know, mar marriage is like that, you know. It's, there, there are difficult times to go through. But when you stay consistent, when you stay faithful, the thing that starts out like that piece of sand and that oyster, God, God redeems that too. God turns that into something super beautiful. Um, so fortunate and blessed to have Kristen as my wife. I would never choose anyone else, and we're going to have many, many more years together. I did see a funny joke this morning. A woman asked for her husband. She said, Say, he, she, he said, what do you want for your anniversary? She said, I want something shiny that goes zero to 200 in less than five seconds. So he bought her a scale. <laughs> They're still not talking to this day. Yeah. Yeah. Men do, okay, don't ever buy your wife a scale for Christmas, her birthday. Don't buy her a gym membership, like all those things just... 
Don't even go. Just a little advice after 30 years. Don't go there. Don't go there. Well, good to be back. Uh, I want to pick up on a message I, I preached a few weeks ago. Uh, I, was, I preached a message about Melchizedek. It was at the beginning of August. And I want to kind of continue that a little bit and start in Hebrews 6 and 7 and transition back to Genesis chapter 14. And I believe there's something God wants to do in our midst today and reveal to us and actually use this to, to take us to a new level of maturity as a church. So I'm excited uh, for what God's laid on my heart today. So let's just pray. Father God, thank you so much for uh, laughter. Uh, love to laugh, love to be able to just be joyful in your presence. We welcome you here, Holy Spirit. We're, uh, we're grateful to be here. Father God, I ask through your spirit that you would teach us through your word and that you would just uh, continue to conform us to your image, make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. So today I want to talk about, I, I don't really like the title of my message. I just couldn't come up with one, honestly. So uh, this sounded pretty good, the Melchizedek Blessing. Uh, but we're going to look at uh, where Melchizedek runs into Abraham, or Abram at the time, and blesses him. And really, the, the message today is more about how Abraham responded to a given situation. And so I have three points to the message today. I, I may only preach two, I'm not sure. But first of all, how he responded to Melchizedek was that he tithed. And then secondly, how he responded to Bera, king of Sodom, was he testified. And finally, how he responded to the word of the Lord was he trusted. So he tithed, he testified, and he trusted. And we may only do the first two, so we'll see how it goes. I will be sensitive to uh, your time today. And uh, hey, it's, did I say I'm glad to be here? I'm glad you guys are here. Yeah, awesome. Love you guys. So who, who, what, what guests do we have here today? Any guests today? First time? Anybody? Okay, welcome, welcome. Good to see you. God bless you. Glad to have you here. All right, so if you have your Bibles, we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. We'll read the first three verses of Hebrews 7, and then we're going to flip back to Genesis 14. So if you want to just flag those two places in your Bible, Hebrews 7 and also Genesis 14. It says this, it says, uh, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, this isn't the first time that Melchizedek's mentioned in Hebrews, uh, but this is kind of where we've, we've been lately. Remember, Melchizedek, a very mysterious figure, takes, uh, he appears in Genesis 14. You don't hear about him for another thousand years after that till David declares in Psalm 110. He says, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, and uh, God's not going to change his mind about it. And then we hear nothing again until the writer of Hebrews talks about him, actually over about three or four chapters. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of teaching that we could do here, and I've kind of honed in on one or two things today. So verse 7 says this, 7-1 says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God. So the first thing we find out about Melchizedek is he is this. He is, he, he is a priest and he is a king. A very unique combination. Normally the, the duties of the king and priest are separated. Uh, of course, who, do we, who else do we know that 
that is and was and, and still is a king and a priest. Jesus, right? Jesus is king. Jesus is priest. And, and also in 1 Peter 2.9, it says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people. So that, that because Jesus is king and priest, we as, as his uh, being in Christ, we're also called a royal priesthood. We're, we are also kings and priests as well. And it says, This Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abram returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. So the, the, what we don't find out in the Old Testament that we find out here in Hebrews 7 is this. He says, first of all, first thing is that his name, the interpretation of it or the translation of it, Melchizedek, means king of righteousness. So it's made up of two words, Melech and Sedek. Melech means king, Sedek means righteousness. So it says, first of all, by translation, his name means king of righteousness. And then, after that, he's also king of Salem. Salem was originally what became Jerusalem. And Salem is where we get the word shalom. Have you ever heard of shalom? It means what? Peace. And so, so, first of all, king of righteousness. Second of all, king of shalom. Shalom means not just like peace like we think of it, like peace in a time of war. Shalom means nothing missing. It means Everything's complete. Everything's as it should be. There's no broken pieces. So it's, it's complete soundness, wholeness. And he says he's the king of righteousness first, the king of peace second. So a few weeks ago when I preached this message, we talked about that, that peace only comes as a result of righteousness. And apart from righteousness, you never actually know true peace. Today we're going to go a little different direction. And then verse 3 says this, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. So in the Old Testament, when you were a priest, you were a priest for life. And when you died, another priest would take your place. So when Melchizedek, who comes in the Old Testament, there's no genealogy, which means it doesn't say he was the son of so-and-so, who was the son of so-and-so, who was the son of so-and-so. There's no genealogy. So that, like Jesus, it says because he has no genealogy, he's got no mother or father, that he never died, and therefore he remains a priest forever. So since Jesus never dies, Jesus is alive, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, therefore his priesthood is an eternal priesthood. And so a lot of people say, well, Melchizedek, you know, who was he? Some people believe that he was a type and shadow, like he was a legitimate person that was a type uh, pointed to Christ. Other people believe that he was a Christophany, which means that he was an appearance of Jesus before that Jesus actually came as a baby. Uh, I tend to believe that, that it was uh, Melchizedek appearing to Abraham was actually an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. You can believe whatever you want to believe. It won't change the story. Uh, so it says that he remains a priest continually. So what I want you, we're going to come back to a little bit later as we get into the message, but Remember, it said that first, his, his name first translated means what? King of righteousness. I want to see who's listening. I saw a couple people listening over here. First, by translation, king of righteousness, and then king of peace. King of Salem, king of peace. So that the translation of his name came first, and the location of his kingdom came second. So we're going to come back to that 
and apply that to another individual in this story. All right. So we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter uh, 14, verse 18, which is where Melchizedek enters. But just to give you a little history on this story, so there is, uh, there's five kings, the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah. You know, a lot of times we hear those two cities uh, mentioned together in the Old Testament. But there's Sodom, Gomorrah, three other kingdoms, and they actually rebel. And they rebel against the kings that they're, they're under the rule of. And so these other four kings, in the beginning of Genesis 14, these other four kings attack them and go after the, these five kings, and, and they flee. And they overtake them, and they actually took the entire city of Sodom, and they took Gomorrah. And, and the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah said so they fled to the hills, and they left. And then when these kings came in, they took all the goods of Sodom, they took the people, they took all the stuff, they took their wives, they, and they even took Abraham's nephew, Lot. Now, if you remember in Genesis 13, you remember Lot and Abraham were together, and it said their, their substance grew so great that they had to depart, and they split. And, and uh, Lot took, and he went to Sodom, that's how he ended up there, and Abraham went the, Abram went the other direction. And so somebody escaped that had been taken captive. He comes back to Abram and says, hey, your nephew Lot's been taken captive. And so Abram, he had, he had amassed a, a pretty, pretty good amount of uh, wealth by this time. He had, it said he took 318 trained soldiers that had been born in his house. So he didn't go out and acquire them. He actually raised up trained soldiers in his house. He took 318 men. Now, the odds of this are not real good. 318, and he went after four kingdoms. He went after four kings and their, and their, their warriors, along with all the stuff that they took captive. And it said that he pursued them all the way to uh, Damascus and Dan. He, he like, you know, does an end around, and he splits his team up, and they go in. They capture them, and he brings back all the goods. And so when he's coming back, he's got all the goods of Sodom. He's got all the people. He's got Lot. He's got all the women. He's, he brings them all back. And so he's carrying with him what we would call the spoils of war, right? So what's the saying? To, to, to the victor go the... Spoils, right? So by right, by right, he, he won this victory, and now he's got all this stuff, and he's walking back, and the uh, Melchizedek just kind of comes on the scene out of nowhere. Now, there's another person we're going to go back to here in a minute, but for right now, we're going to go right here. It says, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was the priest of who? I want you to notice this, most high God, it's going to appear three times in the next few verses. It says, Melchizedek brought out bread and wine. So we talked a few weeks ago, bread and wine, actually the first usage of both of these in the same verse point to what? Jesus, but what, what, do, we, what do we take to remember his death? Communion, right? So here comes Melchizedek, a type of Christ, or actually a pre-appearance of Christ, bringing bread and wine to Abram. A type of the, uh, the body and the, the blood of Jesus. And it says he brings forth bread and wine. And then in verse 19 says this. Next slide. It says, and he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him tithes of all. So did you notice it said that he was the priest of the most high God? It said that he blessed Abraham. It says, blessed be Abraham of God most high. And then he said, blessed be who? 
God Most High. Do you think there's an important something to learn there? So this is the word, anybody ever heard the term in Hebrew, El Elyon? So if you haven't heard it, that's the term. So it's a name of God, El Elyon. It means God Most High or God Highest. Elyon means highest. And so a couple things. It says, first of all, that it says that you're blessed of God Most High, who is what? The possessor of heaven and earth. Now, imagine if you're going to get blessed, wouldn't it be great to get blessed by the guy that owns everything? Like, I don't want to get bad, blessed by some bum on the street. Let's be honest. Like, so here comes Melchizedek, who represents God Most High, and he says, you're now blessed of God Most High. Deuteronomy 10.14 says this, it says, Indeed, the heavens are yours, the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth and all that's in it. So that, so God Most High is the possessor of, the creator of, the owner of everything. And when Melchizedek blesses Abraham, he releases a blessing from the one who possesses everything. Now, if you want to be blessed, don't you want to be blessed by that guy? You do. Because here's the thing. If I'm blessed and in covenant with the one that possesses everything, there's nothing that I'll ever need in life that he doesn't have. Like, he's got it all. I, I don't need to stress about it. I don't need to worry about it because I'm in connection with the one who is God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. See, a lot of times we go, and, and I apologize. Anybody ever hear the term higher power? Now, how come you've heard that, but you haven't heard God most high? Right? We're more familiar with higher power than we are God most high. See, you'll go to a meeting sometime, they'll say, we well, need to figure out what your higher power is. So maybe this is your power, maybe this is your higher power, but whatever your higher power is, is actually beneath the highest of the high. And so when you settle for a higher power, you're actually reducing yourself to less than God actually intended for your life. See, God wants you to be in covenant in connection with God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And the next thing he says, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Next slide. It says, blessed be God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. That word delivered is the same word that's the word shield. You, you've heard uh, a lot of times in the Psalms, David will say, the Lord is my shield and my buckler. He actually protects me. He actually covers me. He actually surrounds me. He provides for me, but he also protects me. Psalm 84.11 says this. It says, the Lord God is a sun and a what? It's not up there. That's why you don't know. Psalm 84.11, next slide. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Can you say amen to that? Amen. See, here's the thing. He's blessed by God Most High. So God owns everything. That's, that's who I'm in covenant with. And then it says that he is a son. He provides everything. He's the source of everything and a shield. He protects me from the bad. It said that he gives grace. Grace always precedes glory. He gives grace and glory. 
No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Oh, well, there you go. You can't walk uprightly all the time, right? Or can you? Do you know that word uprightly is the same word that's used to describe a, a, a lamb in the Old Testament? What did the lamb have to be without in order to be sacrificed on the altar in the Old Testament? Without blemish. That's the same word, without blemish. You actually have to walk without blemish. Is that possible? Not of your own. But guess who came as a perfect lamb of God without spot or blemish? Guess, guess what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5. It says that he is putting together a glorious church that he will present to himself without spot or blemish. That when you're in Christ Jesus, you're actually made perfect. You're made clean. You're made righteous. And that when you're in him, you're without spot or blemish. And so, yes, you can walk that way. No good. So here, here it is. You're in covenant with God who blessed you, possessor of heaven and earth, and that he withholds no good thing to those that are walk uprightly in him. Now, why would you go anywhere else? I wanted to say this. I used to hear Bernie Mac say it, who you with? But then I found out it was the Little John song. I thought it may not be the best. But who are you with? Right? Are you with God Most High? Are you with a higher power? Are you in the strength of your own hand? Who are you with? So get this. It says, the bl think about this. The blessing always follows the body and blood of Jesus. So when, when Melchizedek came out, what did he bring? Bread and wine. And then what did he do? Bless. It says that he, Melchizedek, blessed him, Abram, and he, Abram, gave him, Melchizedek, tithes of all. See, this is where a lot of people get it wrong today. So what do we do? What do we do? What do we, if, here's, here's how you know if you're operating under the old covenant or not. What do I have to do to get blessed? Anybody ever ask that question? What do I need to do to get blessed? If you're asking yourself that question, I thank you for the one honest person. If you're asking yourself that question, you're under an old covenant mindset. See, Melchizedek didn't show up and say, okay, Abraham, you got the spoils, hand it over, you know the rules. Give me a tenth. He didn't even mention it. What did he do? It said he brought forth bread and wine and he blessed him. No mention of anything. See, under the old covenant, what did you have to do? I had to be obedient to get blessed. Right? Obedience came first. Blessing came second. Or if disobedience came first, what came second? Cursing. And so it was completely dependent on me. I did right. I got blessed. I did wrong. I was cursed. In this, this is grace. This was 430 years before the law. Income Melchizedek who is a prefigure of Jesus Christ, who brings forth bread and wine and releases a blessing from God Most High with no qualifications. 
said you're blessed. He didn't say you got to give me 10 to get blessed. He said you're blessed. He didn't say you got to do anything. He just said you're blessed. But what did Abraham do? Go back. Abraham responded with what? A tithe. Because he had to? Because he wanted to. See, there's a difference. There's a difference in doing it to get God to do something or doing it because God has already done something. See, under the law, you do it to get God to move. Under grace, you do it because he's already moved 2,000 years ago. And you give out a response to what he's already done. So I'll get people ask me, well, it's under the new covenant. Do we got a tithe? Anybody ever ask that question? Do I got a tithe? This is grace. Do I got a tithe? Now remember, this is 430 years before the law. You don't have to. You get to. You don't have to because there's nothing in under grace that says you have to do this. Now let me give you a little however. You want a however? When Jesus came, you guys remember the Sermon on the Mount? You remember in chapter 5 he's saying this? You have heard it said of old, dot, 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 but I say. So all that discourse follows this. It says, I didn't come to, to destroy the law, but I came to do what? Fulfill it. And the man that fulfilled it was who? And guess what? When he fulfilled it, you know what he did? He raised the bar. He didn't actually make it easier. He made it harder. See, grace is a higher standard than the law. It's actually an impossible standard to keep apart from the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and the fact that Jesus has already done it. And so when he says this, he says, you've heard it said of old that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, what? If you even look at a woman to lust after her in your heart, that you've already committed adultery. You've heard it said of old that you shall not commit murder. But I say to you, don't even be angry at your brother. You've heard it said of old that an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. But I say what? Turn the other cheek. Do they sound like easier standards or harder standards? <laughs> You've heard it said of old, love your neighbor. But I say to you, love your enemies. Okay, so you know, you see what Jesus did? He fulfilled the lower standard. And God most high raised the higher, raised the bar higher. So he actually took the law, and grace actually raises the standard. And so here's my question. If tithing was the standard under the law, what would be the standard under grace? <laughs> Give it all. Well, it's all his anyway, right? I'm not here to tell you, I'm not here to tie you to a number, but I want to tell you that tithe means 10, it means 
Coincidentally, guess what number King Melchizedek was in this story? He was the 10th king. You think that was a coincidence? Probably not. No such thing as coincidence. I don't know. I'm not going to, we won't address that one today. I don't know. Is it a coincidence I wore blue today? No, I did it on purpose because Evie always tells me to wear blue. So here's the question. The question is not, do I have to tithe? What comes first, the blessing or the tithe? So the question I have to ask is, am I blessed? What's Paul say in Ephesians 1.3? He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is going to bless me. Is that the past tense, present, or future? That's the past tense. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Guess where my blessing is? It's with the highest of the high. I am blessed by God most high, not because of anything Fred did, but because of everything that Jesus did. And so if I'm already blessed, guess what I get to do? I get to respond with something out of love. I get to respond out of faith. I get to respond out of trust. Not because I have to, but because I get to. Now, Melchizedek wasn't the only person on the scene. There was somebody else there. Do you remember I said, remember what his name means? Melchizedek means what? First by translation, king of righteousness, and then king of peace. Okay, so his, the translation of his name first, and then the location of his kingdom second. So it says, it says verse 17. Remember, we picked up on 18. So verse 17 says this. The king of Sodom, now I put in parentheses there, Bera. So just so you know what his name is. You have to go back to Genesis chapter 14, verse Two, to know that his name is Bera. And the king of Sodom, Bera, went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva. I want everybody to say Sheva. Sheva. That is the king's valley after his return from the defeat of, uh, I always butcher this one. It's Kader uh, Olemer, but let's just call him Cheddar. Is everybody okay with that? Like, I, I like Cheddar better. Okay. I like cheese. It says, uh, after his return from the defeat of Cheddar and the kings who were with him. Now, okay, see the gap, verse 17 down to 21? Because Melchizedek was verses 18 to 20. It says, now the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. Let me have two volunteers. Oh, look at this. We got Melissa and Nate. I don't have my glasses on. All right, sweet. What's up? I'm good. I got them here somewhere. All right. You want to be uh, you want to be the king of Sodom or, or the king of uh, of uh, whatever? All right. You're the king of Sodom. All right. You ready? 
All right. See, you're, you, everybody say, hi, Bera. This is Bera. And this is Melchizedek. Uh-huh, uh-huh, all right. All right. So we already know that Melchizedek, his name means what? King of righteousness. And secondly, then, king of peace, king of Salem. All right? So while, so verse 17, here comes the king of Sodom and comes up. And then all of a sudden, in verse 18, the uh, king Melchizedek comes up. And we have this conversation. And now the conversation goes back to the king of Sodom. Now, if, if we apply the same technique of translation that, that the writer of Hebrews applied to Melchizedek, so by translation, his name means king of righteousness. Do you know what Bera means? Son of evil. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. And he's, he's the king of Salem, which is the king of peace. And she, he, is the king of Sodom. And you know what Sodom means? Burning. It actually means scorched or burnt. So we have the king of righteousness from the, who is the king of peace. And here we have the son of evil who is the king of burning. Do, do you, are you getting the prophetic picture here? Right? Are you, nothing against you, Melissa. Yeah, volunteer. So I, gave, I gave you the first option. All right. So we have king of righteousness from the kingdom of peace. We have the king who is the son of evil from the kingdom of burning. And guess where they meet? The valley of Shevet. Shevet, that's the only time that word's used in the Bible. It comes from a word that's used a whole bunch that is Sheva. So Shevet means a level plain. So we're meeting at the valley of the level plain. But the word Shiva means agreement or equality or to become like something. So here's another way that word is used. The word Shiva. Proverbs chapter 25 verse 17. This is a great anniversary verse. It says, like the continual dripping of rain and a nagging wife are alike. Like the continual dropping of rain, let me say this again. Actually, some translations say endless. Like the continual dripping of rain and a nagging wife, they are the same. But my, I, I wouldn't know, right? So the, 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 I, I don't know. I've only got one wife. Now, Solomon had like a thousand. So the guy knew what he was talking about, right? I mean, he had like 300 wives and 700 concubines. I mean, he knew. He had experience, so I'll just leave it up to him. His Bible, look it up, Proverbs 25, 17. All right. See, th there's a thing in marriage called the art of the safe. I, I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to perfect it. All right, so, all right, so think about this. Here comes King Melchizedek. I'll be Abram, and here comes King of Sodom. And we're meeting in the valley of agreement. You seeing where this is going? And what does Melchizedek, when Melchizedek meets me, I've got all the stuff, right? 
And Melchizedek, uh, he, brings, he brings something to the table. He brings bread and wine. And he says, blessed be Abraham of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. He doesn't ask anything from me. He just blesses me. Now, in response to that, Abram gives, right? Melchizedek gave, Melchizedek brought, Melchizedek blessed, and Abram did what? Gave. In the valley of agreement. The son of evil, Bera, from the kingdom of burning, takes a different approach. Give me. Here you go. Give me. Give me, give me, give me. He says, give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. See, the enemy never minds if you have some stuff as long as he gets the souls. He's looking for people. And so what he's doing, he says, hey, give me. And by the way, take for yourself. As opposed to, here, let me give you some bread and wine. And by the way, you're blessed. The one that you align yourself with and come into agreement with is the one that you become like. See, you wonder why we have so many takers in the church? It's because I've come to the valley of agreement with the wrong king. Well, I don't know if I'd clap about it. Let's clap about this one. Do you want to know why we're going to have so many givers in the church? It's because we've come into agreement with the giver of all givers. See, you become like the one that you align yourself with in the valley of agreement. Abraham made the right choice. All right, guys, that's good. Let's give him a hand. See, what did he do? Look at the next verse. It says, so Abram has a choice, right? It says, Abram said to the king of Sodom, I've raised my hand, I've made an oath, I've decided to, to come into agreement with who? God most high possessor of heaven and earth. See, I don't need the deal that you're trying to offer me because I'm already in covenant with the one who owns everything. Like there's nothing you can give me that's ever going to make a dent in what I've got there. And so I've raised my hand to the Lord God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and I will not take anything that is yours. Melchizedek blessed Abram, and Abram gave. Sodom said, give me and take. And Abram said, no, 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 no. I've raised my hand to God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, 
and I will take nothing that you have. I've disconnected myself with that system. What did Kim say earlier? There's no president, no Congress, no nothing that, that, that can overrule what I have in Jesus. Like he's got all authority. He's got all the stuff. He's, he's got everything. And that's who we come into covenant with. So Abram tithed to Melchizedek, but he testified to Sodom. See, here's where I find a lot of the church, though. And I'm not, I'm not passing guilt or shame. Not what we're about here. But we are about letting the Holy Spirit make us more like Jesus. Abraham, when he gave, what did he use? He had to use his... Yeah, it's not a trick question. Right? He had, had to use his hands. When he testified, he said, I raised my hand. He also used his mouth. So here we're, here's where I find a lot of the body of church, they're still stuck in the valley of agreement saying, I'm blessed to be a blessing, oh, by the way, but I'm a taker on the side. See, so you got your mouth saying one thing and your hand doing something else. And what God wants, he wants your mouth and your hand to be in alignment. That when you're saying, see, here's the thing. You cannot bless somebody unless you're already blessed. You can't give what you don't have. See, here's what happens. It's a lie of the enemy to keep you under an old covenant mindset where you're trying to get blessed. Because as long as you're trying to get blessed, you're not blessed. And therefore, you can't be a blessing. Why do you think Jesus said, when you go, preach the gospel of the kingdom, that the kingdom has come near? He says, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, Matthew 10, 8. Freely you have received, freely give. You can't give what you don't have. So if you're continually trying to get God to bless you, you're never going to be a blesser. You've got to start from the position that I'm blessed because God's word says I'm blessed. I'm blessed because of what Jesus, my high priest, has already done. And therefore, I don't need to try to get it done for me because all the excess in my life is just meant to help somebody else. And that's where God wants you to live. And Abraham went on to say, except for what the young man have eaten and the portion of the man that went with me, international memory, let them have their portion. Did you notice? Did you notice the timing of the temptation? Directly after what? Success. Here comes Abram from the victory. Here comes Abram, who's the most popular guy in the room. Here comes Abram that's got all the accolades. See, a lot of times we, we're, we're cognizant of the fact that the enemy will attack when we're, we're our weakest. 
But we forget that he also attacks when we're at our strongest and at our best. See, when things are going right, that's the time to make sure you've got your armor on. As much as when they're going bad. See, everybody knows when things are going bad to put it on. Right? That's a, you'd be a moron if you didn't know that. But what happens when, oh, what happens when we win the battle? Oh, let me take the armor off. See, the enemy comes in at the high point. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, when you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. When you think you stand, when things are going good, when things are going right, when you've got momentum in your life, when you're winning, when you're overcoming the enemy, don't get prideful. Pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Don't get prideful. It was never you. It's never going to be you. It's only Jesus, El Elyon, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Verse 13 says this. It says, There is therefore no temptation that has taken you that is such as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you were able, but will with the temptation, everybody say, make a way to escape. See, sometimes your way of escape is like Joseph when he ran out of the house, right? Like sometimes you're being seduced and you just got to hightail it out of there. Sometimes your way of escape is to say, ah, I've raised my hand and you prophetically declare what you've done. I've raised my hand to El Elyon, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and I will not take anything. Like, if it doesn't come from God, I don't need it. See, here's what happens. When you make, let's call it a deal with the devil, he doesn't care if you're successful. He doesn't care if you got a little change in your pocket. He doesn't care. Because here's what he knows. There's going to be a time when he can come back and use that as leverage against you. See, the best time to say no, <laughs> right now. Because when you say yes today, it's easier to say yes tomorrow. So when he comes and he makes an offer that looks good, here's something I thought about this week. Look, next slide. No, maybe, maybe I missed it. I don't know. Sometimes the offer that the enemy makes appears to be God meeting a promise in your life. Let's think about, like, okay, I won the battle. I deserve the spoils. He's offering me the spoils. It's mine for the taking. You could justify your way right into something Oh, God's actually, God's actually transferring the wealth of the, 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 the unrighteous to the righteous. Like, you have to have wisdom that only comes from Him. Because it can seem like God's meeting your need when in actuality it's the enemy trying to get a foothold in your life. And without wisdom that's supernatural, you're not going to discern between the two. See, Abram had discernment that came from the Holy Spirit because he says, I won't take a shoe latchet, not even a thread, lest you say I made Abram rich. He discerned 
there was an ulterior motive. And sometimes we mistake the blessing of God for the foothold of the enemy. And we go making a deal that God never intended you to make because he's got something better over here. Let's just go ahead and finish this out. After these things. Now, if you have the New Living Translation, it says this, after some time. Anybody have a, ever have an after some time, like a period of cooling off? <laughs> you like take it to the devil. You have a victory. You get healed. You lead somebody to the Lord. Uh, you get a raise, whatever it is. You do something big for God. But then after some time, logic starts to kick in. <laughs> And it says, after some time goes by, the Lord came to Abram in a vision and said, what? Do not be afraid. First time this is used in the Bible. So if God tells Abram to not be afraid, guess what he was? Here's the man that had just defeated five kings. Here's the man that had just been blessed by God Most High. Here's the man that had just disconnected with the world system and all that it had to offer and made a bold declaration of faith. And after some time went by, he gets scared. Did you ever do something bold? You step out and God tells you to do something, whether it's to give something or go, and all of a sudden you're like, why did I do that? Boy, that was, that was stupid. I need that money. I, I, I need my car back. I, I, that was just dumb. And that's what happens to Abram. His mind starts running away with him. And he starts rationalizing what he did and probably thinking, I should have taken the money and run. And God comes to him and says, hey, do not be afraid. And God reminds him of something. He said, I am your shield. See, sometimes three years go by, we get off Facebook, then we get back on, and we need God to remind us who we are. And we need God to remind us who he is. Because as we start allowing rational and irrational thoughts to invade our mind, we start thinking thoughts that don't line up with God's word. And we need God to step in and say, hey, don't be afraid. I'm still your God. I'm still your shield. I always will and I always will be. I am your shield in your exceeding great reward. I'm it. There's nothing you need that doesn't come from me. And Abram said, but God, see, he doesn't get it perfect. Here's the thing. The father of our faith who records his faith in Romans 4 as, as without error he didn't get it right in the real record. But under grace, it doesn't get recorded. But here's what really happened. He said, God, what will you give me seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? He turned his focus to what he could see. He said, what can you give me seeing I go childless? Forgetting that he's in covenant with the one that owns everything. 
The next slide says this. Then Abram said, look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is an heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Little final slide. Then he brought him outside and said, look toward the heaven, count the stars if you're able. And he said, so shall your descendants be. And Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Abraham responded to Melchizedek with a tithe. He responded to Bera, the king of Sodom, by testifying who God was. And he responded to God's word, reminding him of who God was, that he trusted and believed him. God will do the same for you. Here's what I want to do today. Here's how I want to close. I, I, I believe God, like I said earlier, I, I, I really stirring inside of me that we have a lot of, of blessed to be a blessing mouth Christians, but we don't have any hand believers. And I want everybody's mouth and I want everybody's hand doing the same thing. And I want you to connect with Melchizedek. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We're going to do this. You know, if you don't want to do it, and if you think it's weird, I don't care. You can just sit there. But sometimes I believe God, God honors prophetic declarations and prophetic action. So I want to declare something today, and I want to do something today. Here's what we want to do. I'm going to ask you to do this. We're going to release. First of all, what I want to do is I, I need you to realize that you're blessed because you are. But I also want to release something into the atmosphere through a prophetic action of putting something back to our high priest Melchizedek. So here's what I ask you. I want to ask you, I don't care if it's a penny. I don't care if it's a dime. I don't care what it is. The amount is insignificant. And, and even if you don't have any money at all, I've got a change bucket right here. So I'll give you a penny or a dime or a quarter that you can put in. But nonetheless, I want you to put it in. Because God is going to honor when, when you actually walk out what his word says, there's an honor that's going to come into your life because of it. I really believe that. I believe he wants to do something special. I believe God wants to do something special in your finances today. So if you are struggling in your finances, if you, you need uh, help uh, getting them in order, if you want to walk more and to be a blessing, to be able to bless other people, which we all should want to do, I want you to do this because I believe it's what God has for us today. So I'm going to ask you if, if you, if you want that, if you want to attach to the giver and be a giver, I just want you to stand up and we're going to pray. And, there's not, and if you don't want to stand up, it's not a big deal. Don't stand up. But we want to do this. I want to pray for you. And then I want, I want, where's that bucket at? Here's the bucket. Look, here's the bucket. I'm going to put some coins up here. So I don't care, like I said, it can be a penny. And you can even take one out of the jar and put one in there. But it's the action that we're talking about. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you today that we are blessed. I want you to say that. I am blessed. I am blessed because of Jesus Christ. I have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in high places. 
that because of what Jesus, my high priest, did, I am blessed. I receive that. I receive that in Jesus' name. And now, as a prophetic action, I raise my hand to God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread of anything that doesn't come from him. And because I've been blessed, I now release back to my high priest as a prophetic action of my faith, of my trust, of my love for my him, what he's already given me. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.